You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need, straight from the sharpest minds in CX, to better connect with your customers and create customers for life. Let's start the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back to CX Confessions, the customer experience show. I'm Catherine Calvert, CMO of Koros, joined as always by my most amazing co-host, Spike Jones, GM of our Strat Services business, Spike, how are you doing today? Hey, you know what? It's another hot day in Austin, but that's just how it is. So I'm good. I'm good. Good to be here. It's always, it might always be sunny in Philadelphia, but it's always hot in Austin. Amen, sister. Preach it. Preach it. Well, it's still summer here in San Francisco. It's the tail end of summer and it's a balmy 62 degrees. So, oh, so jealous. I know. I wish we could kind of meet in the middle, but let's get to the show. We have a very, a sp- another very special guest today, one of my favorite people and industry colleagues. We are joined today by Susan Ganation, who is the new CMO at Clearwater Analytics, very exciting company, but she just joined. She comes from a long history of marketing leadership with B2B companies. I got to know her because she was the CMO of Granicus, which is one of the leading companies serving local and state governments, software company, I should say. We were Portco family when she was at Granicus because they're also owned by Vista. So we got to know each other well. She actually spent a lot of time in social and digital engagement software before moving over there. So she has some great stories to share with us. She's a person I call when I have a question about how to think about a problem in marketing, how to think about connection, how to think about business value. And I am so happy to welcome her to the show. Thanks for having me, Catherine. We cannot wait to dive in. And I did want to start by going back a bit. So pre-Granicus, pre-Clearwater, you spent time in space similar to Koros in that customer engagement world. And I know as a marketer, we've joked about how you know we can build a beautiful brand and tell a perfect story. But when your customers aren't experiencing the same thing, all that good work is for naught. And so your brand is really what your customers want it to be for better or worse, or what their experience of it is. You have seen this firsthand. Tell us a story about your aha moment. Yeah. You know, for me, it is that the customer experience is real time and it doesn't traverse into the time you might be able to handle it. So let me give you the the perfect example. I was working at an organization, as Catherine said, that monitored social media. And we did this on behalf of restaurants and hotels primarily. And we helped them with things like new product launches or new redesigns. In this case, we were employed by a company, a a small boutique restaurant called Le Diplomate, which is right in downtown DC. By the way, I'll just put my plug in right now. If you're in DC and you want a great meal, you can literally have probably one of the best burgers on the planet at Le Diplomat. They have good wine, (laughs) good appetizers. Go to Le Dip. They will not disappoint. Anyway, they were opening and they employed, they asked us to monitor their social media. And what we learned by doing our text analytics very quickly over their opening day social media in real time was that the servers were taking very long to get to the tables. They would have recognized this three days later. 
but their reputation from those opening nights would have already been solidified, right? So what we were able to do is swoop in and give them that information same day, real time, have them adjust it and make good on, you know, an amazing opening day. And, you know, then they generate fans like me who talk about them on podcasts like this. (laughs) So, you know, I guess the big takeaway there is you real time matters, right? Understanding the customer in the moment is very important. Let me give you one other example. I have been a longtime United Flyer and I worked for another company where we monitored and helped United monitor their customer feedback. So I knew that United was listening and I was going to get on a plane one time and the plane, you know, was diverted and I ended up having to be rebooked instead of being rebooked on United. I got rebooked on US Air and I was just frustrated because then I had to go back through security. It was a whole mess. Anyway, I, in my frustration, knowing that United was listening, I tweeted at United. And from the time I showed my ticket to the US Air agent till I sat in the seat, what's that take? Three, four minutes maybe, right? So like that three, four minutes, United had tweeted me back. That's great. It is, you know, and you think, my gosh, this is a huge airline that must be getting many, many messages. They were on top of it and I was impressed. So you know, they couldn't solve my problem because I was on US Air. <laughs> but, but I just, I felt better. And I'm a loyalist. You know, not everybody has, everybody has their issues with air, the airline industry and everything but like that. But what makes a big difference to you and what keeps you a loyalist is when you hear that that vendor is listening. And obviously they are. I love that story. And I'm a, I'm a 1K on United too. So, and I think it's important that United and their customer of ours too. So they were, using our software to help respond to you. But that ability to know that they should respond to you as a loyal customer quickly and prioritizing who they respond to and what conversations they respond to when, that's tricky stuff, right? And I think then it gets into how how do you connect all those dots behind the scenes? How do you unify a team and behind doing the right thing by a customer? It sounds like the right thing to do, but it's hard to mobilize. It is because, you know, whose job is it? Well, social media is marketing's job, but customer support is the support team's job, right? And then how do you, when do you know when it's a marketing effort versus a support effort? I had heard of other examples of of people in the airline industry sort of, you know, jumping on this and putting, putting together a tag team of people, pulling from marketing, pulling from customer support, pulling from leadership and having them all monitor social channels in, in times of crisis. And, you know, certainly you don't be afraid at no matter what size company you have. And that was a huge airline in the Netherlands. But if no matter the size company you have, you can create an environment where, you know, on load, there is a tag team approach. And guess what? Today with cloud software, you know, that, that is freely available out, not freely, but that is available out there. <laughs> easily available. Easily, it, it easily, easy to use, easy to learn, easy to remember how to use if you haven't been in there for a while. You can absolutely create a team that responds in crisis. So, and then the day to day, that's just a matter of working it out with your business on, you know, who's best. In my last company at Granicus, Catherine, you all helped us stand up a community. And that community uh, process of standing it up was a combination of marketing and customer support. We were 100% teamed at the hip. Every decision we made on 
you know, which channels we were opening up and how we were going to support that customer and the SLAs we were going to put in place was all a joint effort between marketing and customer service. So, you know, that alignment is critical. And going back to United, you know, I will not name the video that shall not be named, but that was kind of the aha moment, I think, for, for, and I think that was when a lot of companies woke up and it's, it involved a guitar and a musician. I think that was like that, that, yeah, I think that was that, that was kind of the awakening of like, we have to respond to these people and we have to, we have to do this. We have to engage now with these folks. And that, in a lot of ways, changed the entire industry too, for sure. Now, when it comes to you talked about you know different departments and who owns what, and and I think that's a that's a struggle for a lot of companies. But when it comes to the messaging, there has to be consistency across that customer journey. Can you share some of your thoughts about about how those teams should be put together, and, and even share the responsibilities and, and things that you have seen that have worked in the past? Yeah, I think okay. If we could just rewind on that customer journey real quick. One of the biggest mistakes companies make when they're looking at customer journey is they map their customer journey from the inside of their organization. So they pull insiders together and they say, Hey, what do you think the customer journey is? Well, guess what? They are not the customers. They are the company. The only way to get to the true customer journey is to actually talk to customers. The answer to your question is not in these four walls. It's outside, right? So to to completely really understand that customer journey... Picking up the phone and saying, okay, let's take the software buying process, something I'm very familiar with. Pick up the phone. I would call somebody who's recently bought our software and say, how did you learn about us? Where, how did you research us? What other sort of inputs did you use to make a decision that you even wanted to engage with us once you engaged with us? You know, what were the steps along that process? Tell me more about each one of those touch points. Did you get what you needed? Did you need more? And at you know, what point did you think, yes, I'm going to do this? And what, what brought you over that line to say, yes, I'm going to buy? And then tell me about that process since buying. Just as important to you know, maintain customers because customers are expensive to get and, and very cheap to maintain. Keep that customer in line. At, like how, What's your experience been with us so far? And knowing that it's sort of like the last experience in life and life in general, whether like I'm now I'm a relationship coach or something, it's the last experience that's most memorable. Right. And the, you you could do things right all day and leave a dish in the sink and your partner might be bad at you. Right. Amen. (laughs) That's a different podcast, by the way. That's, that's the other podcast we have, the relationship one. We'll, we'll tell you the URL for that later. That never happens to me, but <laughs> but it's that last experience that is most memorable. And so you got to keep all of them going. And again, so just getting through, through that entire customer experience, again, the answer to your question is not in these four walls. It's with the customer. So map that journey with them. Then it's too big for you to fix everything all at once. There are going to be broken parts. Even in the most well-run business, they're going to be broken parts. So it's too big for you to fix everything. And one, you got to prioritize and you got to hone in and then you've got to incentivize. What incentives are you giving people to ensure that they improve those parts? Uh, you know, I love the Zappos story. You know, when I think Tony Shea is his name, he it was the CEO. He decided that one, the customer experience he wanted was keeping customers on the phone longer 
not getting them off the phone faster. When they called in for support, hey, I bought these shoes, they don't fit, how do I return them? Or do you, but on the website, it's saying you don't have my size, blah, blah, blah. I need them for an anniversary you know, dinner that I'm going to with my husband. And then you know, all of this conversation comes out during a Zappos customer support car. And the, the story is that's probably, it's been pretty well publicized and I'm, I'm riffing off of, you know, kind of years back remembering it. But the story is that people had said in the customer support department were given metrics of like, we, to keep a customer happy, we can spend up to whatever dollar amount. So they knew that person's home address and they sent them an anniversary gift, right? Sorry, we couldn't get you your shoes in the right size, but here's your gift. That creates a customer for life. Right. That connection. For sure. And I'm just really quick. That reminds me of the Ritz story about, I think it's Ritz uh, hotels where each employee has a discretional fund. Every employee has a discretional fund that they can use to solve a problem. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like this hierarchy that like go get approval. It's like you can solve that problem right there. And like you said, that creates loyalty and that creates customers for life for sure. I can't believe you brought up Ritz. Have I ever told you my Ritz story? No, but I would love to hear it. <laughs> this one, this one will give you chills. Okay. So we, my husband and I had two little toddlers. I think my son was two and four and we happened to stay at a Ritz in Florida and it was very rainy and overcast. So we didn't have a great vacation, <laughs> you know, it was like bundled up on the beach, freezing cold, but with toddlers, to with toddlers. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, we were going to the beach one day and I'm a little bit ornery and I'm just, I can't do it all. So I said to my husband, you need to put the lotion on those little boys and take your ring off. I don't want you scratching them while you do it. So he does that. He takes his ring off, puts the lotion on, you know, fast forward to that night. And at two in the morning, he wakes up sits straight up in bed and is like, I lost my wedding ring. <laughs> oh, oh no. And it sounds like it was your fault, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely my fault. So he's tearing the whole room apart. He can't find it. Can't find it. Asks housekeeping. They look. Everybody looks. So finally, we're checking out. And the front desk manager says, how was your stay? And I don't know, on a whim, I just said, it was great. Although my husband lost his wedding ring. And they said, well, we'll have the housekeeping. Look, I said, you did that. And we'll, we'll tear apart the room. It's fine. You did that. And he goes, well, do you have a suspicion of where it might have gone? And I said, yeah, my, my son is too. And he was toddling back and forth between the door jam and the change plus the wedding ring that was on the dresser. And I heard clink and I heard that quarter fall into the door jam and clink and a quarter fall in. I said, I think it's in the door jam, but you know what? It's just a couple hundred bucks wedding ring. It's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll go get a new one. No big deal. So we get in the car, we're driving down the road. We're 15 minutes down the road. We get a call from the Ritz. We have ripped apart the door jam. Can you come back and get your wedding ring? Wow. Wow. It was so amazing. So <laughs> we turn around and go back and they hand us a little baggie. And in the baggie is 75 cents in the wedding ring. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So yeah, I mean, that that is the power of that point. And they have, they have a dollar value that they're able to go spend to keep a customer for life. And, you know, certainly that story has generated a customer for life for sure. Yeah, that is, I mean, and I know your boys are, 50, that was 15 years ago about. Yeah, now they're 18 and 20. And <laughs> I think they still toddle around though. <laughs> and lose things if they're like mine. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, so you touched on this a little bit, and and I think I think it's sort of baked into these stories we're talking about, which is creating connection. And you and I have talked about community at Granicus. When you came to us about community software, it was really in search of a problem to serve your like small C community, right? The software came as, hey, here's an opportunity. So tell, tell, I, I, I'll never forget because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic when you reached out. And I'd love for you to share the story of what was happening with your customers and how you came up with an idea to help them. Yeah. So let me start with what Granicus does. We sell software solely and exclusively to government, but at all levels of government, federal, state, local levels. And that software helps government people communicate with communities. So we have a lot of best practices that we've established in the, you know, the ways people communicate. You know, you shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel every time you want to get a message out on, you know, vaccination spots or whether masks are a mandate or not. And, you know, you should be able to, to, to share that. And so Granicus fosters that sense of community. But what we didn't have and what we turned to Chorus for was a solution that would bring those people together digitally so they could ask each other. Instead of coming through us to each other, they could come directly to each other. We had done a couple of webinars where, you know, literally you know, thousands, 2000 at a time, government leaders who were responsible for communication were attending these webinars because they were so thirsty to learn what each other, what the other communities were doing. We held this one webinar where the head of communications for Berkeley, California told everybody else how she had done, had brought medical experts onto webinars for the community, how she had done live tweets, streams, where people could ask questions through Twitter and then she and her medical experts could reply. And this is the start of the pandemic. And remember, I think it's, it hit Seattle and then went straight to Berkeley. So she was like sort of ground zero and, you know, needed, needed to just go on the fly and was super, super impressive government communicator. When we told her story, people were so thirsty for it. They just wanted to talk to her. They wanted to just jam with her and see what else they could learn and do. And so that's when we turned to course and said, let, let help us build a place where people can learn from each other's best practices. You know, in this time of crisis, it's super important, but every day it's important as well, right? You know, as wildfires burn in California, you know, what Calusa County does should be the same as what Glen County does. They shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel every single time they need to communicate um, out to their citizens. So that was super important to us and why we turned to, to Coros and the, and the software there and, and brought that to market. And then, you know, what we're, we're seeing is like thousands of people participating. Yeah. And I guess one of the things I'd caution is, you know, when people stand up communities, they think if, if you build it, if it's like field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and what happens is you, you do have to foster it. And find, there's always going to be a handful or, you know, definition, a relative handful of people who are really engaged in the community and others who are just there to listen. It's kind of like any, any sort of room of people. There are the talkers and there's a few people in the room who just kind of sit back and listen and learn a lot. And the community will be the same. There'll be, and it doesn't mean that it's not valuable. If you have a thousand people and a hundred are the talkers, it's still super valuable for the 900 who are listening. 
That's great. You know, the, the power of bringing people together and letting them have that conversation. But also you, when you answer someone else's question, like that's empowering, right? And you feel like, like, you know what? I made someone's day and I helped solve their problem. I want to participate more. It's really a powerful thing. That's right. And you don't, you know, not, a, of course, people who have a day job, <laughs> but what they find is maybe their day job could be easier if they can share experiences with other people and learn those best practices and figure that out along the way by modeling. I mean, it's the same thing I do as a CMO, right? I, you know, I look at what other CMOs are doing and just try to keep up. <laughs> I highly doubt that, but uh, okay. All right. So we have a couple of standard questions like to ask all of our guests. So one of those is, in your industry, what is a commonly held belief that you passionately do not agree with? So you know the story that goes, if Ford listened to customers, he would have just applied more horses to carriages and that he had to completely innovate by ignoring customers. I think there's way more to that story. I wish I was back. I wish I had a time machine and I could go back because I actually don't think, you know, that analogy is true. And I honestly believe I, so I grew up in this high tech space by early on in my career, making it into product management. And I took a course from a company called Pragmatic Marketing. If you're in product management, product marketing, you should always take pragmatic marketing courses. Another plug for another group. But, you know, Steve Johnson, who's at Pragmatic Marketing said that, you know, the answer to your question is not in these four walls. It's, it's with the customer. And I have believed that in my core since he said it. And it has served me really well in my career. For example, when I, as a CMO now, my job is to go create content and to build trust between me and my prospective buyers. I don't know what content to create. My internal team might have some ideas, but the real place to find out what content to create is with those customers. And the same goes for engineering a software product or building a new solution, whether it's software or, or anything. First, you have to understand people, how they're going to use it, how they might use it, what value it can bring. And in that, I think, yeah, you can have an innovative idea, but it still has to have surrounded of people and the value and how you might be able to change their lives. All the software companies I've ever worked for and chose to work for is because I truly believe we actually make a difference in, in some slice of the world. And the only way you can make a difference is by listening to people, understanding their problems and trying to solve them. Yeah. Getting a really clear sense of what needs solving. That doesn't mean there's no room for innovation and inspiration, it, but it means you root it in, in your customers and prospects. Speaking of, another question we always ask is, what is we're all flooded with data. So what is the most important data for you when you think about really understanding your customers? We get spreadsheets after spreadsheets. What's the, what's the information that matters most to you? For me, I think it's a return on investment. You know, when I am trying to work with a client to show this thing can bring you value by whether, you know, in the software world, again, by helping you decommission other soft pieces of software or take totally manually done processes and automate them or by improving the speed at which and the efficiency at which you can get the job done. Any of those 
to me, can yield return on that customer's investment in your software. And so for me, I'm, you know, I think as a marketer, the most important thing I can do is communicate value back to a prospective client. And the only way, again, I can get value is by understanding the ROI of those who have already used it. I will say I'm new to this philosophy and and thought process. And Catherine, you know, like this is a big thing Vista pushes within their organizations. You know, we used to joke at our at our board meetings that the I, "Where's your ROI calculator?" question would come up at every board meeting, and it does. And so, it, you might as well build one <laughs> and do it right, and make it make it work, and make it true to the return that the customer can get. And you know, re- truly think about it from all aspects. And also, by the way, I think many companies I know have these ROI calculators that were whipped up by some sales engineer who just like pulled a few parameters and tried to throw it together. I would go professional all the time, and you know, get one done that truly understands the industry and the changes that you're making in those customers. That's such good advice. Yeah, that's such good advice. I think we, especially when it's an enterprise software solution like ours, we we can be a little inside out, right? And think, well, only we understand how to really calculate the value. And I I had to come at that with the that outside perspective of, hey, we can say what the ROI is, but the value of having some a third party model is it just it's such a huge payoff in terms of credibility. So I learned that too. I had to learn that the hard way too. For sure. And working in, I, from the agency side, you know, we would get asked a lot, what's the ROI of social? Like, what's the ROI of a tweet? And it, back then, it was, it was hard to connect those dots for sure. And, but with the software now, and especially with the intelligence and, and the data, it's gotten a lot easier to go, well, look, this is, this is the cost of an unanswered tweet. This is the cost of losing a customer for, you know, life. This is the cost of, of gaining a customer for life. But I think the biggest thing for me is we would always sometimes back into it and say, this is the money you're saving because you're doing this stuff. And putting that together was always very much important and well-received. Yeah. I feel like everything you do should be measured. I think people say it the other way, which is it's not worth doing if it's not measured. (laughs) But yeah, I, I, I struggled with that when at previous software companies when, you know, peers of mine would say, Hey, can, can you just, can you run an ad in the newspaper or in Forbes or in this publication? And in print ads, I just, I mean, I might be backwards, but I struggle so much with them because, you know, how do you measure, you can't even measure impressions, let alone, which is, is funny numbers anyway, but like, how, how do you measure the, the progress against a, a print ad, right? And so I, I strongly encourage digital and get your UTMs together and make sure they trace all the way back through your Marketo Salesforce and any other tools that you're monitoring that spend on so because otherwise it's just not worth doing you're just you're literally throwing your company's cash out the out the window if you can't measure and link it link it back yeah connect all those dots all right it's confession time this is cx confessions so can you know you've had an illustrious career thus far and much more to come i know but we learn from our mistakes we learn from the times of things might not go so well can you share a hard lesson that you have learned along your journey Yeah. I went through a period, again, when I was in the CX space myself, and I had a great PR firm that was getting me all kinds of placements. But of course, it's a lot easier to get placements and get written up when it's a little bit controversial. (laughs) And so I had some controversial information about one of the industries we served. 
and it, you know just about how bad they were from a CX perspective because we had we had done some measuring of like you know publicly available data about them and I gave it to my PR firm and we wrote it up and I got placed in Forbes and my CEO came crashing down on me um, because he was like that means we'll never sell to that company and we'll never sell to this company and we'll never sell to that company. And I, there was not a lot that guy said that I really value, but, <laughs> but that he was right, honestly, because, you know, there's a way to spin everything. You don't always have to just go out there and, t- and, you know, expose all the warts. And that's kind of what I did in that article. Yeah, it reminds so in the early days of social when like the social media influencers came along talking about social, I they always would bash companies for their poor response. And I that was my response. I was like, they're they're never gonna hire you now, man. You just publicly bash them. And so we back we went the other way and our company, we would give the you don't need us awards. It's like, hey, you're killing it. You don't need anybody. You don't, and which sometimes they would reach out and go, actually, would love to have a conversation because we, sometimes we feel like I don't know what we're doing. But yeah, definitely a hard lesson for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and then uh, so I sort of later on, I adopted the Jay Bear philosophy of life. And Jay Bear is a social media pundit as well, which is hug your haters, right? Instead, you know, you know definitely and, and, you know, help, help them help them do better instead of the other way around. Anyway, hard lesson, lesson learned. Moving on. I'm going to, I might hug your haters. I love that. I'm going to put that on a post. I haven't heard that before. Oh, he wrote a whole book. You should read the whole book. Ooh, I got to find that one. Okay. I don't know that one. All right. Well, speaking of hugs, you know, I love you and I've known you for a long time, but the, my audience, our audience doesn't get to spend, hasn't gotten to spend as much time with you. So we love to end with a few questions so that the world can get to know Susan a little bit better. As we said earlier, we're always connecting and creating relationships and connecting the dots means talking to people. So that's the spirit of this. It's time for quick fire confessions, five questions. So I'll kick things off. What was your first concert? I'm totally dating myself. <laughs> We've heard it all. Ario Speedwagon. Nice. Oh, oh, nice. That is so cool. I mean, listen to that album, like start to finish. It just brings you back. That's great. What was your first job? My first teen job was selling clothes in the 80s in a store called Merry-Go-Round, which sold like Michael Jackson looking like leather jackets and leather pants and Madonna clothes. And I was so good at it. And I worked on commission. I made so much money. (laughs) And so, no, my first real job was actually coding in the fintech space. I I coded solutions for banks. And this is back in mainframe days. So I'm embarrassed to say, and my kid, my kids are going to shrink and die away when I say this out loud, but I coded COBOL. <laughs> I'm one of those old dinosaurs. Like, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, and, and for those who don't know Clearwater, it's your, it's, that's kind of amazing because now you're back in the fintech space. That's really cool. Yes. All right. If you couldn't do what you're doing today, Susan, what profession would you attempt? So I recently had this opportunity to do marketing videos and I found out that I'm a great creative director. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, I, I like literally have this like, Oh, I just, I think it's really cool to like shoot B-roll and <laughs> help people, you know, say things better and script them and all of that, even though all of this has not been scripted by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a great one. That's fun. That's a cool discovery. 
What is the favorite app on your phone right now? Well, my fitness pal is probably my favorite. I, I had a knee surgery and now I need to count calories because I can't move otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, really great app and it keeps getting better. Good customer experience for sure. Yeah, very good customer experience. Okay, last question before we sign off. What is your biggest indulgence? Well, I kind of I love cars. <laughs> so I've just kind of love classic cars, muscle cars, shiny sports cars. Oh, so I'm in love with the 2020 and 2021 Corvette. Oh my gosh. I just bought myself a new mid-engine convertible Corvette. Nice. You lost me at mid-engine, but I love learning this about you. This is fascinating. I just, I'm just so thrilled with cars. Um, my partner has a motorcycle and I've always been that person who's like, mm, you know, motorcycles are too dangerous, but going fast in that thing is so much fun. So yeah, cars are sort of something that I continue over the years. I've, you know, dabbled in, you know, experiencing a little bit, but I just love them. That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much. We will let you drive off into the sunset. Oh, well done. Well done. But you've been a fantastic guest, as I knew you would be. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you, Spike, for a great conversation. And we hope you will join us again for the next episode of CX Confessions. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everyone. Your customers expect to be understood. Their likes and dislikes, their history with your brand, and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, and it's creating customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. Koros is the award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands and powers more than 500 million digital interactions every day. Koros is the award-winning platform for digital-first customer engagement. Ready to create human connection across the digital customer experience to create customers for life? Learn more at koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. See you next time.